You're listening to The Byliners, presented by The Gateway. <laughs> okay, all right, before this gets any crazier, um, hello, uh, welcome. It is the week of November 16th, 2020, and you're listening to The Byliners, presented by The Gateway, the University's of Alberta student-run magazine. Um, I'm your host, Tom DeKezi, the arts and culture editor at The Gateway, and I'm here with The Gateway's news editor, Kadra Ahmed. You want to say hi, Kadra? Hey, yo. Hey, yo. And we have our opinion editor, Mitchell Pollack. Hey, faves. The ones I do it for. <laughs> <laughs> the fam squad. <laughs> uh, P is not here today, uh, but that's okay. The three of us are. Um, and so is the podcast. Uh, I did all that unassisted, you know. Um, no drugs in the system. Uh, <laughs> no, I just thought people should know. Just, uh-huh. we, we do the podcast on the natch. Uh, <laughs> natural. But if you are listening uh, to the podcast for the first time, um, yeah, this is just uh, presented by The Gateway. Uh, this is The Byliners. And just what we do every week is we kind of just go through the biggest headlines, be it in pop culture, um, news, and especially U of A news. Uh, it's, it's a great place for you to catch up on, on what's going on in the world and, and at the U of A. Maybe if you haven't had time to check out The Gateway online or uh, maybe to check out Dylan, uh, any other news sites you frequent. Uh, so this is just kind of a place where we bring all that together and we just have a fun conversation. Um, yeah, uh, there's also old episodes. You can listen to those, see what's up. Uh, but uh, I guess there's a good question. How's everybody doing? This is, we are recording on Sunday, November 15th. So this is technically, is this still reading week? Not in my books. In my books, no, it's the weekend. So when did reading weekend? Friday. Saturday. No, Saturday. Okay. Saturday. <laughs> Friday. Well, no, but it is a week though. It has you to be always get. Days. You always get Saturday though. Saturday is like always gonna be. I guess. Friday's I used to do work on Saturdays, so. <laughs> Wait. Okay. So if those are the rules. Then was Wednesday reading week, or was it just Remembrance Day? Was it like we got a day off reading week? Oh yeah. It was reading week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they always do that though they always give us reading week on a long weekend or, 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 yeah. or, or a holiday of some sort that's some BS um, <laughs> give us a full week I'll say it would make such a big difference this year too obviously as we're all just at home they're like giving <laughs> students one more day off not on my books <laughs> yeah real talk That I guess that, that kind of goes to my question how how was everybody's reading week? Because I know for me, I know we talked about it a little bit before, but like this reading week is literally, it felt like every other week for me. I I don't get I don't get a lot done most weeks. <laughs> this week is no different. <laughs> Mood. Got the COVID blues. I feel that. Um, yeah, reading yeah. week and COVID, it, it, it was okay. It was nice to like not go on Zoom meetings frequently. Like I will say yeah, that. Yeah, that was a nice change. Beyond that, I mean, all I did was sleep in, read, write, edit, do do everything I do every other week just without doing readings for classes. Um so yeah, I feel I feel it was it was it was it was like really nice though. It was nice to like hang out with um uh, like I saw my partner, so that was nice. Um and we didn't have to worry about like school and stuff, but beyond yeah. that How many yeah. break? Pretty standard week. Well, as someone who doesn't have, I have asynchronous courses. It literally was like any other week. I didn't do my courses. Uh, hey. I slept in. 
Did you do your um, reading? I don't do readings. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyways, it was an okay week. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's like a hell of a time to have reading week, especially because the COVID cases are going up. So like right when everybody gets theoretically gets time off, everything started shutting down. <laughs> like the government literally came out and said like, oh no, we're going to close. Um, we're going to start closing restaurants earlier. What else got closed? Fitness, uh, like spin classes. Fitness, so if you like yeah. spin or yoga classes, if yeah. you, if you are a middle-aged Karen, you're out of business. Uh, <laughs> get back oh no i say i've been working out this whole point <laughs> i don't know but I, I guess maybe that's a that's kind of a good transition to um i guess the first story and something which has been kind of a big deal not what do you mean kind of a big deal literally the whole theme of 2020 has been covid um <laughs> but cases are kind of blowing up right now in alberta um who had the numbers with them do you guys have the numbers of where they are uh, I'm looking at them right we now. Did, we did hit like a new record high of over a thousand cases this past few days. Yeah. So on November 14th, we had 1,026 new cases on November 14th. So that was just yesterday, um, which means right now Alberta has 9,000 active cases, um, 256 in hospital, 54 in intensive care. And I, I think it was Mitch, you brought up the fact of like, it's also interesting to think about like what the capacity is for ICUs right now. Um, yeah, I believe it's at around, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, someone, but it's around 66% um, of the numbers that came out in the last few days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the real concern is if the ICU gets full, that's, that's where people go when they are, when they have most really intense cases of COVID that are life-threatening. Um, when that's a capacity, we're screwed. Um, and that, that was the whole thing about bending the curve was getting it so that like, we knew that COVID was going to be around for a long time. The plan with like um, flattening the curve was making it so that like, it didn't spike all at once and overwhelm the hospital, like the, our healthcare systems. But it would appear that that's going to be what happens considering that there have been very few, actually, in my opinion, effective steps taken to flatten the curve again. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's something interesting to bring up because I know a lot of people now are starting to talk more about like whether or not we should go into a full lockdown. And I think I already mentioned it before last week. Um, the Alberta government, they, they announced some new restrictions. I don't know how we feel about them. Like, I think well, what, like now <laughs> restaurants have to close at 11. Oh, is, my God. I, I thought that was... COVID only works at night, Tom. Didn't you know? <laughs> yeah, real talk. <laughs> Corona just walks the streets of Edmonton past 10. <laughs> yeah, where'd everybody go? What? <laughs> <laughs> Carl's walking. She's like, "Where's Jasper Ab? <laughs> it's so dead tonight. Oh my god!" <laughs> no, I saw this. I saw this really funny tweet. I, I hate not being able to credit people because I I don't have these tweets in front of me. But someone was like, um, "Politicians seeing like dead bodies piling up outside their windows. Um, new announcement: You can now only serve two margaritas." <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, well, that's like Kenny. He's like doing the not even he's not even doing the bare minimum with this COVID stuff. Like when he was saying all about like voluntary measures, yeah. like as if yeah. anyone's gonna follow that. Yeah, well, for for the context of listeners, so the the approach that our current incumbent premier Jason Kenny has taken is he's been strongly against the idea of doing a second economic lockdown. Um, he says it infringes on people's freedoms that people should have like it. 
people should take personal responsibility on themselves to not get COVID, which, um, you know, it's great. It's true. You should have personal responsibility. However, at the end of the day, like in, in my sincere opinion, thinking that that's going to be the norm or the standard and that everyone's going to just all of a sudden stop COVID by themselves without any sort of coordination seems extremely foolish, um, especially given the fact that, yeah, cases are so bad. So it's good to know that the measures they've now taken into place include, yeah, stopping bars before 10 p.m. and uh, shutting down <laughs> yoga classes. Because as we all know, that's yeah. the real issues. But you can still have weddings and funerals as long as it's <laughs> under a certain amount of, yeah, as long as it doesn't hit a certain threshold of people, which is absurdly so yeah i don't know i know sometimes i wonder though because because i think some people are calling to have like a, a lockdown similar to the one we had in like april may-ish around then right like where everybody was kind of at home mm-hmm. but I, I okay here's the thing i'm not an epidemiologist i don't know how things work but <laughs> but i sometimes I, I i wonder if that if that really is the full measure that we think it is or if even that was more of a half measure, because I think about like a country like France, let's say, for example, I know they had a super intense lockdown. Like I know they had a, like a, a 9 p.m. curfew and stuff like that. People are getting arrested just for like going on walks. Uh-huh. And then when the cases went down and things started opening up again, um, their cases exploded. Like I think yeah. their second wave, even they had a second wave, second and third wave, which is bigger than the initial first one. And so sometimes I wonder, like, even if we go into a lockdown, like, obviously it'll be better than what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm sometimes just not sure if that's like the sol- the solution that we might think it is. Because um, okay. like, have some of you heard about the stuff China was doing, like in the early days of the lockdown, like how mm-hmm. stringent they were. Like China was doing some some crazy stuff. Like you would, first of all, they weren't allowing people to to self isolate at home. So it was like if you tested positive, they would take you to like these like COVID centers. Because they realized a lot of the, of the way COVID was spreading a lot of the times was someone would get it and then isolate at home, quote unquote, isolate at home, but then give it to all their family members. So then they would like, so pretty much you tested positive. They wouldn't even let you go home. You have to go to the center and isolate. Um, they had these testing stations outside of apartment buildings. So like you're trying to go into your house and like, no, 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 let's test you first <laughs> right. before you can go home from work. And it's like, it's crazy and like when you look at that you're like yo that's the most authoritarian totalitarian measure or whatever but it's kind of effective when you think about it no yeah and i think but i think that like other countries such as china maybe they value their healthcare a little more than we do because yeah that's a lot of money to create centers like that and to they built the hospital like on the weekend yeah yeah which is like <laughs> Which is good. I mean, they obviously care about the health of their nation. Can we say the same about here? Uh, <laughs> when, you know, Kenny's trying to cut jobs during a pandemic in healthcare? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's like a legitimate concern. Like, I definitely wouldn't say that China is like an ideal mm-hmm. model of like a country or like the way that in which they implement policies are like just necessarily all the time. But like being 100% honest, it seems a lot more unjust to just let people die and not do anything about it as has kind of is becoming the norm in a lot of liberal democracies. Um, yeah. Uh, like by taking half measures. And like Kadra said, there are a lot, like here in Alberta, where the provincial government is launching an attack on posts on um, the healthcare sector in the sense that they're cutting jobs. Um, they're really reducing the ability of healthcare workers to actually do their jobs and what they're cutting. And, a lot of people theorize that it's to eventually 
potentially introduce a private tier of healthcare, which the UCP grassroots has shown that they're supportive of. So the fact that's still happening in the midst of a pandemic should be extremely concerning to Albertans who actually don't want to die if they are to get COVID. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember like Tom, you were talking about France, how strict they were. Mm. My friend has friends in France and they would search your bags after grocery shopping to see what you bought. And if you bought something that wasn't necessary yeah like you get in trouble so you couldn't buy like ice cream or wine or anything like they get mad mm-hmm. at you for going out to buy that like only the bare essentials to survive okay but doesn't doesn't france know that wine isn't essential in the pandemic says says mitch noted wine mom mitch pollock <laughs> <laughs> hell yes um someone want to get me a good uh, pinot grigio i'm down um Simon blanc <laughs> <laughs> we can drink over zoom come on listeners we'll be great yeah. yeah yeah i don't know i guess like sometimes you just wonder because I, I i guess there is a spectrum of it like you can be like china and just do the most intense things and then obviously maybe maybe because of the state of our democracy and stuff we're not willing to do things like that but i think there are things maybe yeah. along the way which it doesn't seem as though our, our governments are, are down to do and i don't i guess like a part of it is understandable. Like you do think about like, there are some people who, if we went into a full lockdown, probably would be scared about like losing their businesses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's complicated, man. Like, it's- I think maybe, do you guys hear about the the news last week with Pfizer? Yeah. And the vaccine? Yeah, the huge one, the, yeah. the Pfizer vaccine that might, that might actually be effective against stopping the spread of COVID. Yeah, like a 90% efficacy or whatever, like a 90%. Yeah. Efficacy yeah because i don't know sometimes you think to yourself like that might be the only way we're gonna really get out of this you know yeah well i think the the biggest thing for me looking at it from like like what we can do is i yeah i I think there is no like um single solution to the pandemic Mm -hmm. but i think the biggest thing is keeping keeping it so that the hospitalization rate stays down so at least we have a healthcare system to fall back on and then yeah. hopefully getting to a point where we have a vaccine that'll slow that spread to a point where if you got COVID, it's not a death sentence, to be honest. Like it's, it's not a death sentence now, but it certainly is extremely scary to say yeah. the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, as it's wiping out thousands of lives and thousands of families. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is stopping the curve now is the best thing we could do before getting the vaccine. So personally, that's why I would be, I'd be in favor of what some people are calling a circuit breaker lockdown, which is where they would do a lockdown and they would do it solely for two weeks just to stop the spread for those two weeks and hopefully curb, like stop, like flatten the curve for those two weeks. And that way you also have a date. So people will actually hopefully take it a bit more seriously during that time. Yeah. Um, I, I can get down with that, but it, it does not appear, um, to be at least currently is at the time of recording it does not appear to currently be in place for Alberta. That's an interesting idea. But it it'd have to be a pretty intense lockdown for those two weeks, huh? Like just totally- Oh yeah. It would be it would be everything shut down, which it wouldn't be like I, I there are realistic concerns that rise out of lockdowns and I don't want to negate that. Like mm-hmm. it's not true people worried about losing their businesses or especially for women worried about like childcare or or like how you like how do you manage stuff working from home with children? Like it's it's a realistic concern, um, but like at that same time, I think for two weeks, I think the trade-off of that policy might be worth it in order mm-hmm. to ensure that like we can still have lives around afterwards because that will probably have to be the top concern. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's almost been a year now. We're a couple of months away from a year. And it's yeah. still a big problem. Um, I interviewed an international student not too long ago who's in China. And she was telling me that things are starting to pretty much get back to normal over there. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a year sooner for them. So I feel like maybe if we did have stricter restrictions and such, such we would be a little closer to being... Um, back to normal. I think this will probably go on for another year, in my opinion. So. Yeah. That we were at. So. I know when I know when I saw the the news that the vaccine came out last week, and I I thought back to this episode. I actually re- re-listened to it this morning, but I, I thought back to this episode of the Daily, um, great podcast by the New York Times um, from I think it was July, and there had been a survey done. Obviously, it's the state, so maybe it doesn't. Um, it doesn't reflect perfectly on Canada, but I think 50% of people expressed, um, well said that they were either unsure or wouldn't take a COVID vaccine, a COVID-19 mm-hmm. vaccine, which is like a really high number. Like most, of the t- like most of the time, the majority of people are comfortable taking vaccines. But I think a lot of people are just concerned about like, obviously like this would be the fastest the vaccine's ever been, a vaccine's ever been developed. And then like you add on to that, the fact like we've spent the last couple of years with just conspiracy theories going around everywhere, be it like on Facebook or whatever. I was kind of wondering, okay, honest question. Would you, how, would you guys feel comfortable taking a COVID vaccine if it came out in January? Okay, I am pro-vaccine yeah. all the way. <laughs> I am a science student. I love vaccines. Is this a proper precursor? <laughs> a little worried about how fast it came about most times vaccines take two to three years years. the flu they they predict the flu vaccine like four years in advance every every year so i'm a little worried about that i also don't really trust big pharma i love scientists i love science i don't trust the pharmaceutical industry at all (laughs) so so would you trust the vaccine more if it was made by like a bunch of moms in like their kitchens. <laughs> their no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I trust science. I know. Okay, I trust scientists. I know that there are scientists behind this vaccine, like 100. Yeah, yeah. I just don't. I I would take it, I guess, if it was made available. But the availability of the vaccine is another discussion to be had. It mm-hmm. probably won't be available to the mass general public for quite a while. Yeah, I've heard, assuming like the spring, spring at the earliest. Well, even so, even with spring, though, I think with Katra's getting out partly, which a, a, um, I, I mean, I, I would take a vaccine, a, um, it was, it was backed by scientists. I, I don't trust Big Pharma either, but there's so many people yeah. looking into this. I would trust their expertise. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, when we do get a vaccine, the biggest thing is that even in Canada, I think Trudeau ordered a few million of the Pfizer vaccine, um, on the off chance it like is effective, but even mm-hmm. with those few million, it's not enough to cover everyone in Canada. So distributing the vaccine will need to be like who gets the vaccine first will be a societal discussion that's going to be pretty important. Like I yeah. personally, I, I would be very surprised if it's not older, like the most at-risk populations that get it. So like if you're yeah. someone that has a pre-existing condition or if you're someone that is um, of a higher age, I'd be surprised if you don't get the vaccine. And like healthcare workers too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's a U of A professor who was actually on like a committee to like, Determine who gets the vaccine first in Canada. I didn't write an article on it, but and I can't yeah. remember her name. But uh, that wasn't very helpful. But <laughs> they are determining. We, we appreciate the effort, Kadra. <laughs> Sorry, but uh, um, 
they are determining. Like they are thinking about it. Yeah. I feel like elderly and like will definitely come first, which is fair. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I had a conversation with my brother about it because um, we, we were talking about the same thing of whether or not we'd take it. I think ultimately I would probably take the vaccine because I, I just think the question is like, what's the worst that could happen? Um, no, for myself though, I would I would I would I would I would go for a vaccine if it like yeah. I don't trust Big Pharma, but honestly, there's so much research money being poured in to yeah. research in the vaccine. There's so many eyes on any vaccine that comes out like all over the world to the extent that I would, I would trust it because there's just so many people overbelieving it. And apparently like at least from what I've heard is manufacturing vaccines isn't that profitable. That's why a lot of pharmaceutical companies don't actually do it. That's good. Yeah. So maybe there isn't maybe the big, as big a profit motive. Although I don't know, this is the first time or at least recently yeah. we've had a, a pandemic on this scale so maybe this True. Is- well, and also it's coming out of the states where the states actually have a bit more profit motivation there yeah yeah so. but, i mean that's true i think it'll be safe i think we've the base ingredients of vaccines have been you know settled <laughs> like you know the worry isn't there the worry isn't how they you know denature the virus or how effective it is so mm-hmm. i'm not really worried about like getting cancer or whatever whatever people can like yeah i you know people can even get cancer from anything so i don't even care at this point and also like from from what i understand about about the the pfizer vaccine um i guess not to get like too deep into the science of it from what i've read they're not actually injecting you um with covid it's they're injecting you with kind of guess the genetic material Mm -hmm. and then it gets your body to produce covid19 proteins and then that's how Mm -hmm. it it like builds up an immunity and is able to recognize it um okay. yeah at least that's what i've heard maybe who knows maybe the deep state is feeding me false information uh- <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. i mean i trust it and i just want to clarify i'm not correlating the vaccine with, with cancer i'm just saying i'm sure yeah i'm sure someone out there is saying that yeah we got to put a lot of disclaimers on here this is a pro-science podcast Kadra, you had a story about Harry Styles being on the cover of Vogue. Do you want to fill us in on that? Yes. So, love him or hate him, Harry Styles was on the cover of Vogue, and which is like, okay. But his whole photo shoot, he's wearing like, I guess like, I'm not going to call him gender neutral clothing because we just don't really view dresses and skirts as gender neutral, but he's in yeah. dresses and skirts. and Yeah long coats that look like skirts and stuff and this isn't like the first time Harry Styles has done something like this like he very openly plays with like gender and stuff but it was interesting because online like, he was like getting like mixed reactions to it and not in the traditional sense that we would think where people are like you're a man you know put on uh-huh. some pants uh-huh. but rather it's between more of like the younger audience being like he's queer baiting um it's only because he's white that he can get away with all these things like Mm. that's kind of the response that's happening on the internet and i don't know like it's interesting because we don't i don't i don't think anyone knows what harry styles sexuality is that's his business this is not my business um so i don't know if we can say that he's queer baiting um but i still think him wearing a dress is still like a big deal in our culture or a western culture like there's so many like things because people are like comparing him to like people in other countries that like wear dress i know somalian men wear skirts 
it's like well not skirts but they're like things that you tie to look like a skirt uh-huh. and people were like well it's just because he's white like blah, blah blah but i think him wearing a dress on the cover of one of the biggest magazines in our western culture yeah. um is a big deal because men don't wear skirts here <laughs> mm-hmm that's true. I, I think I have a lot of thoughts on this, um, especially as like a, like I, I, I read a lot of queer theory and I am a very proud member of the queer community. Um, I think, I think it's obviously beneficial to have that kind of representation on the cover of Vogue, to have someone that's wearing gender non-conforming, um, like gender non-conforming clothing, like, you know, like instead of Harry Styles coming out wearing a suit or something, he's wearing clothing that obviously plays with the boundaries of gender and the limitations of gender. But the thing, the thing that I will say is that um, I, have, I have two thoughts on this, which the first one is that, like, Harry Styles is not the first person to, like, really played with gender like this in a really mm-hmm. radical way. Like, even in Western culture, like, you know, I think the first yeah. person that comes to my mind immediately is David Bowie is someone who right. radically played with gender at a time where it was a much more controversial thing. Um, Prince. Right. Yeah, last night I was telling my sister, last night I was like, Prince walked. So that Harry Styles could run. Hell yes. Well, Prince like wore a bikini in his yeah. one of his album covers. Like Prince is Prince is very radical in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I like so I, I think it's good. But I also think that yeah, Harry Styles has a lot of foreground to walk upon in taking the step. And I mean, I think it's more an indictment of Vogue that Vogue hasn't had a man in. Like, this is the first one, yeah. Yeah, which I, I think that's more on Vogue as an institution and as like a media outlet rather than like society as a whole because it's it's been done before so the Vogue has refused to give it an adequate platform um That's true. yeah but then I think the other thing with the whole idea of queer beings I think with Harry Styles it's a bit different like Harry Styles sexuality is non-disclosed um which I mean as it's it's very difficult because I think how a lot of the queer community feels is that like for a long time um no one wanted to associate with us or our community yeah. um like edmonton pride like i'm trying to remember, i can't remember exactly what year it is but i believe it was in the late 90s or early 2000s like there were some people that would like walk with bags over their heads because they were worried about like professional and personal repercussions that came from walking in pride um mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we have people that are just actively out for the community trying to kind of get the money of queer consumers um mm-hmm. and i don't think harry sounds necessarily doing that but it does lead to like a huger thing about like should celebrities feel the need to justify that like you know i think it's a bit more difficult even for me with celebrities like tyler the creator for example who's someone who often does things that are coded as queer now but who yeah up until like recently would commonly use the yeah. term faggot in his music and commonly mm-hmm. use homophobic slurs and insults in his art um, and like, I, I don't want to just like, I don't want to, um, I want to like try and say that Tyler, the creator is like, that might not come from a spot of hurt or a spot of like, just not knowing that we're queer. But yeah. I also will say it's extremely hard for someone like me who like has had been called a faggot growing up to all of a sudden have someone like Tyler, the creator go from someone who's like, who kind of justified that use of language to being someone who's all of a sudden here for the community. It's, it's a bit difficult. Yeah, this is just, I, I don't want to go too off topic, but have you guys looked at the pictures of, of Harry Styles and Vogue? Yeah, that's beautiful. What, <laughs> what do you think about the fit? Do we, does he pull it off? I'm looking at the one of him in the dress and like the Victorian era dress in the blue. I mean, Harry Styles fashion is very like, how do I say this? Harry Styles it's is like, GQ, it's so good. It's not conventional beauty or fashion. Yeah, like yeah. he likes to play with color 
likes to play with odd fabrics and just oddity in general, I think. So I think the pictures are beautiful. I don't know. I just yeah. love men in skirts though. That's what that's what I call them. I love men in skirts. I think they look so good on them. So which picture are you looking at, Tom? Um, the one of him in like the Victorian era dress and like the blazer. Right. Oh, I see which one you're looking at right now, actually. Yeah, he's like got his well, one hand on his hip, and then the other hand is like a little in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know, but I, I think it was uh, yeah. Um, I think it was interesting, Kadra. You brought up like, I guess some people are saying he can only do this because he's white, and I think the timing's interesting because I know in the last couple of weeks, um, Little Nas X, um, yeah. rapper, you guys, uh, famous for Old Town Road. Um, I guess the biggest song of all time, pretty much. But, um, um, but yeah, he he came out as gay. I think it was last year, um, and this last week, these last couple of weeks, um, I know he posted a picture of him on Instagram, where he was kind of like dressed up as as like Nicki Minaj. Did you guys see that? Yeah, yeah for it was, Halloween. It was just Halloween. Right? Yeah. yeah, 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 for Halloween. I remember he got a lot of blowback for that. And I also follow him on Twitter, and he was posting a few pictures. Like he posted a picture. I think it was just yesterday, and it was it was obviously CGI, but it was like it was like him kissing himself. Yeah, and a lot yeah, of people were freaking well. out and saying like, "Hey, man, how can you do this? You're supposed to be a you're supposed to be a role model." And his kind of response is like, "I'm not I'm not responsible for who likes my music. I'm not going to change myself um, just because of that." But I, th- I think it is interesting to kind of see the different responses where like Little Nas, I think he's got a lot of persecution. And a, a lot of a lot of the criticism I've seen is people saying like, yo, you're falling into the trap of like Hollywood always trying to feminize black men, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a theory a lot of people have. Um, and yeah, I, I think it is interesting where you have that happening. And at the same time, you have Harry Styles on the cover of Vogue, you know. Yeah. 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 And this isn't the first time that, like a black like I after like seeing Harry Styles and at, on Twitter, people were comparing him to a picture of like Young Thug, who I don't really listen to. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Young Thug's been doing this for a while. Yeah. yeah. He's he wore a dress on the album cover of his album like 2016, mm-hmm. and he's a big like advocate for like androgyny and playing with gender, but he's not really. I literally didn't hear about it until I had. Yeah, it's not really up. celebrated. But I think it's a difference also in community. I think that, like, yes, Harry Styles being a white man gives him more of a safe space to do so. Um, and, like, he obviously gets more credit because of his race. But I also think that, like, the Black community is, when it comes to, like, playing with gender, it's, like, not something that's super welcome, I think. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I think part of it, like, and I'm, I'm obviously... For- for listeners that have not seen me, I'm like white as snow. So I like full disclosure as I'm about to enter a conversation about that, about race. Um, white as snow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think I think that part of the reason Harry Styles can do this is yeah, because he's white. Um, I think the example of Lil Nas X, Lil Nas X is extremely timely because mm-hmm. I think that um, like the way in which gender norms have been set up in like is that they've been set up generally by people in power that are white men, especially like a lot of the gender norms that um, that are controversial in communities of color are gender norms that were generally inherited through systems of colonization and colonialism. So it's really, it's also still like, I think there's reasons why someone like Harry Style, who is white, can break gender norms, whereas when someone like Lil Nas X does it, there's a lot more like actual real societal backlash and backlash also from his own community like and because it, it's not like it was just like nobody's criticizing Lil Nas X either like 
I know 50 Cent made some pretty yeah, negative yeah. comments towards it, which I mean, for anyone that has seen the history of 50 Cent on talking about queer relations, it's not surprising. Um, Young Thug actually, Nicki Minaj of all people actually, um, made fun of him in one of her songs for wearing dresses. Oh, um, really? Yeah, oh, she... That actually kind of sucks. I know he, like, looks up to her. That kind of... Yeah, well. well, she married a rapist, so... Oh, oh, that's not wrong. That's not... Yeah. Uh, an alleged... Alleged rapist. Alleged. Allegedly. We should, Allegedly. We should right, clarify. Alleged rapist and pedophile. My bad. Yes. Well, not even... She didn't marry... Her brother is an alleged, um predator as well i believe uh a yes, double check so that claim surprised. before we put that in yeah no it's I, true yeah i believe that is correct mm-hmm, no um, it's true but yeah but no so it kind of sucks to see that like something like last X is also deconstructing gender in a lot more of a radical way than harry styles is in some ways like he also mm-hmm. just released a song where he really embraces the idea of being a bottom which is like wild as like a gay man to see that in mainstream society. I have to be honest never never yeah. thought i'd see a song on the radio where he someone talks about that but it's like it's it's a lot more of a risky thing to do and he's gonna get a lot more backlash from it not solely because of it's more risky but also because of his race i would say like i think there is yeah. yeah well i think like in a lot of colonized like communities there's this like really does this need to be hyper masculine as a response right like what, what do you think tom as a black man um i don't know i think like, it's, spot, I, I, th- I think i think it's true to some extent like i know and, and here's the thing, like, I'm not even, I don't think of myself as, like, an intimidating person. Not really. Um, <laughs> but but yeah. I but I, I definitely do know, like, a lot of people, like, when, yeah, listeners, if you don't know, I'm, I'm black as night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just the way that Kondra prefaced it with, as a black man. Oh, did you say that? I, mean, I totally missed yeah. that. Yeah. I'm just so used to it. He had to say it. He's black as night. He had to say it. As night. As night, folks. Hey man, check your closets. I might be the. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm the boogeyman. <laughs> oh my god! I'm also black. This is really yeah, that's really why right. I can laugh. No, I I think I think what like about I'm... me. <laughs> Shut up, Mitch. Stop laughing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Am I gonna get canceled for laughing? <laughs> 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 what was I saying though? But yeah, no. What I say, like, I definitely, yeah, you definitely do like realize that people kind of haven't have an expectation from you to like kind of be this almost um, like this imposing figure or whatever. And like when people realize, like you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of like a quiet guy, <laughs> like I'm not really, yeah. and like I'm kind of introverted and all these kinds of things. And it's almost like, oh, but you're not supposed to be like that. And it's like, well, why not? You know, but obviously I know why not. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think there is definitely a, an expectation of like, oh, you're supposed to be like this super strong, athletic, mm-hmm. aggressive person, um, especially if you're a black guy. And, and being gay and dressing up like Nicki Minaj on Halloween doesn't really fit into that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where do you think it comes from? I think... That's a that's a really that's a really good question. I think maybe you know we're about to get our uh, our colonial critique glasses on. Um, let's go! Come on! <laughs> yeah, everybody, strap strap yourselves in. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Time for a colonial critique, brought to you by Gateway. <laughs> um, no, but I think it's just um, I I don't know. Maybe it's it's just the 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 what's the word vulnerability of like black black 
families and like black communities and so it's almost like if you're like yeah the, the, here's the thing like if if you're if you're a black person you're you're in a position to be exploited be it um be it by like police or or or, yeah. or capitalist systems or whatever you're just you're just in a more vulnerable position than you would be otherwise and i think to to kind of add on to that and like to now make yourself not just black but now i'm also gay or like now mm-hmm. i'm also whatever it's almost like you're willingly putting yourself in these in these like compromising situations and then you add on to the fact that like maybe there's a feeling that, that the, uh, the black community is something which is inherently fragile and 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 that's kind of complicating that i don't know there's there's a lot of i'm sure there's a lot of things i'm missing but i, I think that might be kind of what feeds into yeah into these ideas I that, I supposed to be. Like I've, i don't know if you racialize queer people and i think that like i think being at that intersection is extremely difficult where it's like being like as as a white gay man i'm not going to be scared to say there is a lot of racism in the queer community unfortunately um, especially mm-hmm. towards Black and Indigenous people, it seems. Oh, and, and towards Asians. I, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess all really racialized minorities, the more and more I think about it. But um, but I, I just think that there's a real vulnerability there. And then, yeah, also, it, it, there's a real feeling of, of um, potentially putting both communities on the back burner, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like Kimberly Crenshaw, who originates the term the channel, kind of talks about her experience as a Black woman with this, where... yeah. She talks about how, like, in the feminist movement, they don't want to hear about, like, they want to solve women's issues first, then be concerned with yeah. issues of racism afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with, like, vice versa for sometimes communities of colors, how she found it, was that they want to solve issues of racism first and then solve issues of sexism afterwards. I feel yeah. like that's sometimes how the pressures that's put on um, queer people of color, to the to, at least in my extensive, like, in my experience is talking to people that are queer. Yeah. And, You're, like, never yeah. the priority. Yeah, which I think really sucks. I think it's, I think it's unfortunate. I think it just also leads to so many internal divisions that are so hard to overcome. Like, I, I think there's nowhere more potent to talk about that than Edmonton because we literally had our Pride Parade canceled two years. It'll be two years now, um, mm-hmm. uh, almost, um, because of a divide in the community that was primarily between a racialized, like, my, my racialized minorities and trans people in the community versus, like, queer institutions that weren't really willing to change in response to that criticism so yeah yeah and i remember i went to the pride before we stopped doing pride and i remember the parade was stopped because there was a protest by queer people of color like you know who are protesting you know this like pride and how it doesn't really address like at least like our you know what's it called again like was it the pride what's it called again mitchell the oh the q the Q, like the Q, T, Q, T, Yeah, but like oh, our organizations. Oh, yeah. Um, shades of color and, oh, oh wait, sorry, I was. Well, okay, what, the organization are you that talking pride, about? The one that, oh, that hosts the Pride Festival. Pride yeah. Festival Society. Yeah, so our Pride Festival Society, like, is like largely white and stuff. And so they were protesting that and like, well, and people were, and I don't, okay, I don't know if people just didn't know what's happening, but a lot of people were like, come on, like, let's just finish the parade, like, we we're having such a good time, like, let's just keep going, and people were, like, booing and stuff, and it's like, it just really shows that how, like, a lot of people oh, really? this was actually get during, it. This was during the actual parade, this happened. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually was marching in the parade that year, um, Fun Fact mm-hmm. Filster, so I was, I was, like, and I, I had a lot of, um, like it was it was frustrating because you didn't know necessarily what was stopping you, but I did have a lot of yeah. white people afterwards come up to me and just basically say, "Why would you stop the parade when it's yeah. it's like supposed to be a symbol of like 
progress and it happens once a year and it's like yeah but it's, it's is it really a symbol of progress if it's a symbol that's actively excluding important segments of our community like yeah. like if the queer community as a whole is supposed to be this really it's, it's it's painted and i think it probably should be this really welcoming place where you can like find a home away from home because as queer people we don't always have a home in our families uh and it, it sucks that people are just willing to say oh well you know we should just basically suck it up and get on with it against like towards marginalized people in the community mm -hmm. yeah that's rough to hear. Yeah, I think there's a big, big racial debate about like when uh, pushing gender norms, but I don't really agree with like people on social media who think that like he shouldn't be doing these kind of things, like Harry Styles. Oh, I Harry think Styles? It's, yeah, people are just saying yeah. like, why is he doing this? Like he shouldn't be doing it because he's not maybe we don't even know sexuality, but he, he we don't know that he's like people think he's not gender fluid or just, you know like he's just playing with it, but. Yeah. I feel like it's in his rights to do something like this. I think, despite the nuance, because it's still a good thing to have him on the cover in a dress, to me at least. I don't know. Well, and like, people with this backlash, honestly, like, I'm just going to say it once again. Like, I don't think it's Harry Styles. Yeah. Like, Harry Styles is trying to raise awareness for the issue, I think, more than anything else. Like, I, I think there's very few things that have shown him to be and genuine in that like yeah we don't know his sexuality but he also has always been supportive he's always been like yeah. like he doesn't really have a history of making some problematic statements that would lead me to realistically um, question it but i think the bigger issue is even if you like i think there is something to be said about the fact that he can't do it because he's white but i think that's less on harry styles and more on vogue as an institution still like why like it, it seems like there's rarely a time where vogue actually like if i'm wrong didn't I think it was Vogue when Beyonce did the cover of Vogue? Yeah, when Beyonce mm -hmm. did the cover of Vogue, it was the first photographer of color that ever yeah, shot the cover that was, of Vogue, mm -hmm. that was and that was not that long ago. Twenty eighteen. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so that's way more on Vogue as an institution and choosing who they highlight. Cause yeah, it's not like like white guys have done this before. David Bowie once again, like yeah, well, the Queen, Freddie Mercury, mm -hmm. um, like. These are people who've done this before at times it was way more controversial. It's just that Vogue's all of a sudden decided that it's, it's a convenient time to give a platform to someone like that when Vogue could be giving a platform to say Lil Nas X, um, Young Thug. Um, mm -hmm. Vogue could also be giving a platform to even more marginalized people, like actual drag queens. Like, I've yet to see like someone like, um, like a racialized drag queen be on the cover of Vogue. That'd be way more radical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, let's, let's take it to a vote. Are we yay or nay on the Harry Styles for Vogue? Kadra, yay or nay? I mean, I'm yay. I love the I love the pictures. I think that despite you know, like I said, all the nuances behind the racial tensions and stuff, I still think that in our culture, it's not mainstream to wear a skirt if you're yeah. a man. And so I think it's still a big deal. And it's not that he just put it on for the for the shoot. He wears skirts in a lot of other things in his music videos and stuff and if you watch his watermelon sugar um video you know there are people of different abilities people of different colors people who are of different genders and stuff um represented there so i don't think he's doing this for clout i think that this is really just an expression of who he is and so i'm yay for it but i do agree with mitchell i think folks should put more effort into yeah. representing different communities yeah how about you mitch if you like yay or nay it's so hard to go into one or the other. I'm, I'm going to say yay as well, narrowly, because I, I, I do narrowly. agree with Kadra. <laughs> well, narrowly, because I, I agree with Kadra. I don't think this is on Harry Styles, and I think I think that 
I think he's done a lot to show the fact that he's not just trying to do this performatively. Um, I think he's trying to show that he genuinely is interested in trying to use his fame and his spotlight to highlight issues of expression in ways that are meaningful to him and to other communities. Um, however, I'm, I'm very tempted to name it because of Vogue, yeah, because I mm. like, like Vogue is very interested, I think, in being like, oh, we put a man in a dress on the cover of Vogue, we're edgy, we're cut, like, like, I remember they also did something, I think it was, it wasn't Vogue, I, I forget what publication it was, but someone did a photo shoot with Zayn Malik and Gigi Hadid where they, they wore slightly more androg- androgynous clothing. It wasn't, like, really super radical, but they kind of painted it as, like, this is, like, the first ever, like, gender-bending cover shoot on this magazine that's, like, it's much more about the controversy and trying to get people to pick up the magazine than it is actually being invested in the communities that they claim to be covering. So. Yeah. No, that's true, Mitchell, actually, yeah. Vogue is, I think Vogue is performative in this cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but Harry Styles wearing dresses and skirts himself, just in that, is like... Yeah, yeah that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I love men in skirts. Same. <laughs> Um, I, I guess that that's a that's a good point to close on. Men throw on a skirt every once in a while; it gets Kadra going. Um, okay. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> no, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, moving uh, into SU headlines, uh, like I say almost every week, this is uh, we do work for a student-run magazine, so we think it's always super important to cover what's going on at the UVA, especially in this year where a lot of people aren't on campus and, and maybe aren't as plugged into to the happenings at the UVA. Uh, so Mitch, you had a headline to share with us about the UVA hiring a new VP of external relations. Can you fill us in a little more on that? Definitely. So um, over this past week, it was on Tuesday, the university announced that they would, they finalized their hiring committee for the new vice president of external relations. Um, super big deal, especially because the, um, so this new, it's a new portfolio technically because it comes from the merger of university relations and advancement, which were originally two separate things. Um, the person that was primarily the head of this, like the person that was in this role beforehand, um, resigned over the beefy bar, the beefier barley billboard that the university put up where they basically claimed that climate change was beneficial for Alberta because it helped make beefier barley. <laughs> so bad. You can read about it on the gateway. We you can. Coverage on that. <laughs> um, you can read about it in the last vice president external relations letter of resignation if you really want to well. <laughs> <laughs> you can find more info there. <laughs> there was a mistake made. Um, but yeah, um, uh, so this new this new role technically comes from the merger of two different things, but it'll be the person responsible for government relations, um, basically maintaining the university's reputation, trying to solicit donate donors, like big donors, trying to get those dollars. Um, but the person that was chosen to be hired for the role is Elaine McDonald, um, who's currently the senior vice president at Global Public Affairs, which is a lobbying firm. Um, and it's not necessarily uncommon for these roles to be filled by lobbyists. They know what they're doing. Um, they generally have a background and the skills. What is more uncommon, at least at the University of Alberta and at a few other institutions, is that Elaine McDonald has a pretty extensive history as a partisan. Um, She was a progressive conservative staffer for a long time. She specifically served in a variety of minister offices, uh, and then she went on to serve as deputy chief of staff to Premier Ed Stelmack and um, acting chief of staff to Alison Redford. 
Um, after that, like after she served as Alison Rufford's acting chief of staff, she left um, political staffing to lobby, but her connections to the party continued. According to Elections Alberta, it, it appears that Elaine McDonald, or at least someone with that name in the city, who I, I would imagine is likely her, um, donated over $2,000 to the United Conservative Party last year. Um, oh. And yeah, and she also was the sponsor of Premier Jason Kenney's speech to the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce. And if, if this isn't enough, um, this, is, this is quite an extensive list, but the last thing that I will mention is that she also was um, a key lobbyist um, for when she, she lobbied the current Minister of Health, Tyler Shandro, to create um, for-profit ortho, um, orthopedic surgery, like surgery clinicals, um, mm -hmm. which the NDP alleged Tyler Shandro bo broke the ethic laws by holding these meetings behind closed doors. Like it was a pretty, it, 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 it's a contentious meeting uh, to say the least. So she has a lot of history of like partisanship and partisan connections. So to me, it's it's very newsworthy the fact that the university chose to hire her to be basically the the institution's lead on government relations and a period of time where the university had like the government is really cutting funding to the university yeah. and considering a lot of policies mm -hmm. that are generally speaking awful for the institution. It's very odd to me to see them hire someone that's so connected to the party in power. Oh, definitely. And if most people, I guess, I hope that people know that like we, are, we have our board of governors, which is the highest like governing body of the university. They make all the big decisions regarding the university. Mm -hmm. And when the UCP were elected, they got rid of Michael Fair, who was supposed to be our chair and supposed to be really elected as our chair. And they put in Kate um, Kizom, who is like a UCP appointed like um, chair. She hasn't donated, like Mitchell's done his research and she hasn't donated to any other campaigns, but she is like this, uh, I don't know if she's not a CEO, but she's, she's a- She, she works as a, like, she's in, she's in energy. She works in the energy sector as a- Yeah, and she has a- A prominent a very high up position. Executive, yeah. Yeah, and so we really have someone who, I'm not gonna say she's in the pocket of the ECP, but someone who definitely like, well, she okay. She was assigned to the ECP for a reason. How do I say this yeah. without coming off like um, this? I would say that like she has her interests. The background of Kate Chisholm, her background would imply a stronger likelihood to align with the UCP's interests. Yeah. Like Michael Fair specifically came from like for people that don't know Michael Fair. Michael Fair was actually Edmonton's first um, openly gay city councilor. Was actually the first mm -hmm. openly gay elected official in Alberta. Um, is is quite progressive. And who I would I would imagine does not like his his history would suggest he wouldn't agree with the party in power, and so it would appear the the UCP got rid of his appointment and yeah put Kate Kisman who is like whose background would imply a stronger allegiance with the governing party philosophy. Yeah, but like she's definitely pushing forward and like making sure that we do this academic restructuring and getting it done and it's like. We already have someone who's quite like UCP like leading that's calling mm -hmm. a lot of shots in the university. So why would they like the UCP is obviously the enemy of the university, even though our president doesn't act like that. They are the enemy of the university right now. And so why would they choose someone why would they choose someone who has that history for another position in the university that's high up, that's important, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well oh sorry, Tom. 
No, no, no. You can go ahead. I was just gonna say it doesn't make a ton of sense to me either because at least like the thing about Kate Kism is like at least she doesn't have like formal partisan ties to the mm-hmm. UCP as far as we know at least. Um, yeah. It doesn't make a ton of sense for me for Elaine McDonald. It's someone who has such an extensive track record and clearly documented history of connections to conservative circles in Alberta and specifically in Edmonton. Yeah. Um, and it just raises questions to me about what how the university is responding to these cuts more broadly. Like. Um, Bill Flanagan at a student council meeting a few, uh, it's almost been a month now actually, because um, the student count union canceled their meeting to watch the presidential election not get their results to, to, the, amaz- to the amazement of myself. Um, it didn't make a tough sense. But um, either way, at their last meeting, Bill Flanagan came to talk to them and he basically, in response to a question which is like, why aren't you trying to be more proactive about preventing cuts? President Flanagan essentially said, we want to show that we're being responsive and efficient with the cuts we've been given. And I just think that's the wrong strategy. It's really surprising to me to see a university administration that's so complicit with the cuts that are happening. And and so it doesn't really make a ton of sense to me as to why they're hiring someone that seems like, at least on face value, to potentially have a conflict of interest with this role. Because how are you supposed to advocate towards a government that you've already actively donated and supported Mm-hmm. towards um mm-hmm. it, it, it's very confusing to me as to why they would be in that role specifically but i think it signals probably a larger strategy of how to handle government cuts at the university level yeah 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 i don't know it's i don't know i think it's it, it's pretty clear that um the u of a's response to the cut so far has been questionable at best uh <laughs> um it's, it's not it's not exactly clear if the, if the approach is to try to fight them or just um i don't know accommodate them but um yeah, yeah. either way i'm sure uh we're gonna it's 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 the dominant headline at the u of a this year um and i'm sure we're gonna talk more about this going forward in the future but um We've been here for three hours, guys. Oh my I know. God. I need to get, need to get running. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say, though, is also yeah. it's important to underline that I will also likely be talking about the government and Alberta's actions in the future. We still have a budget to look forward to this year that will. Uh, that, Another one? Sorry. Yeah, we'll have we'll have budget. I should know that. We'll have budget 2021, Kadra. I know it's oh it's, a, it's a it's a it's a yeah. it's an exciting time. Uh, but um, the last two budgets released by the UCP cut funding to the university like substantially. Um, they've also discussed in the past the potentiality of, um, this was prior to the government being elected, but they discussed the potential of making student unionism voluntary, which would basically be fun the student union. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, if that's not about everything else, they also are still waiting to hear back on performance-based funding, which hey. would tie funding to pretty arbitrary statistics, in my opinion. So let's go. We have an exciting year ahead to continue talking about university relations with the government. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we we have been here pretty long, so I think we're gonna call it uh, call it a day. Thank you, Kadra. Thank you, Mitchell, for putting us in the hall. That great Thank information. You all. Oh, thanks so much.